Welcome to Six Out World. I'm Mari. Jasmine is still on hiatus, so this episode we have Farron Quinn joining us today. Uh, she is a writer, feminist, disability activist, a true crime fan, and a friend of the podcast. Welcome, Farron. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and, you know, just being a geek about true crime. I'm so excited. I, yeah, this, when we get to, to mine, it's a case that's been with me for my whole life. And, um, I was today years old when I learned that it was entirely something else. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Awesome. So today is International Women's Day and March is International Women's History Month. So in honor of that, we are doing a special women-only episode. I'm going to be talking about a case that I found out about while there was a lot of public support for Cyntoia Brown, the sex worker who, at 16, killed a client in self-defense, uh, and she was recently granted clemency after serving over 15 years of her sentence. So this is the story of Tomia Hunter. Um, at this point, I'm going to give a content warning. Uh, I'm going to be talking about domestic violence, uh, racism, and sexism in the criminal justice system. Um, I also do want to credit a website called Madame Noir. Uh, because it had the most information, um, and that's where I got a lot of the info I'm using today. So, on January 9th of this year, Tamaya Hunter's lawyer was notified that Tamaya had been granted clemency on her murder conviction. She was supposed to have a parole hearing in May of last year, when the board recommended for clemency instead. Tamaya was a woman from Cleveland, Ohio, and had been charged and convicted of felonious assault and murder of her ex-boyfriend, Andrew Harris, in 2004 to 2005. Uh, Tamaya and Andrew had been childhood sweethearts, uh, however, the relationship was toxic and Andrew had been abusive to her on multiple occasions. Tamaya left him in 2003 after two previous unsuccessful attempts uh, to break off the, re the relationship, but they remained in close contact. On June 17, 2004, Tamaya and Andrew had been drinking together when they returned to Tamaya's apartment. They ate some food, took a bath, and then fell asleep. That night, Andrew initiated consensual sex, and they fell back to sleep again. Tamaya then woke 
to Andrew screaming at her and accusing her of cheating, and he began to assault her. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of that assault, um, so if you need to, uh, just skip ahead about one minute. Um, I should be through the uh, darkest details at that point. So Tamaya was beaten, choked, stabbed, and had hot sauce poured into her eyes. At some point, Tamaya grabbed a steak knife and stabbed Andrew 22 times. At least one of those injuries cut his femoral artery in his thigh, and he had died. Holy shit. Yeah. 22. 22. But, like, I'd imagine with a hot sauce in yeah, your Yeah, no, I you've... don't like that when I've done it on accident, like, cutting jalapenos, and then all of a sudden, oh, man, oh, hot sauce to the eyes, Jesus. Yeah, and she'd also been um, cut and stabbed as well, so definitely, like, I can imagine... 22 times seeming like enough was like was is there any record of like what flipped this switch in this dude like did he i don't know go through her phone while she was sleeping or like why there's actually surprisingly little on the actual like assault and murder um like it's most of the information is just on the clemency case itself. But yeah, I'd imagine like he's probably going through her stuff, looking at her phone, you know, maybe even just saw like a name on her calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like started accusing her of just being a cheater, I guess. And, this all seems a little excessive for cheating, but that's just my opinion. Uh, no, I think I think that's a valid opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, no, people cheat. Stabbing, not necessary, but... No, it's called... Talk about your feelings. Be an adult. Like, that's not a fair thing to say, because I know kids that are better communicators than... Lots of adults, so, yeah. Yeah. And at this point, they technically weren't even together. I believe, like, they'd been broken up since 2003. So that's at least six months, if not, like, a year, where they weren't actually together. They were just, like, talking a lot. And, like, they possibly, like, slept together in that time, but they weren't, like in a relationship so she wasn't cheating on him no she could not possibly actually be cheating on him because they weren't together and so this is more like he just viewed her as property even after the relationship ended and so he saw that like her even communicating with other men as like some crime a slight against, against him. him. Yeah. Ugh. All right. 
good start. Right? Uh, anyways, it took the jury only 90 minutes of deliberation to convict her of murder. Over the last 15 years, local advocates have been fighting for her release. And it's like this 90 minutes thing that really upsets me. Because it's like, look at all, like the whole situation. Like, yeah, she stabbed him 22 times, but she was also... Like, she was stabbed first? Process. Yeah. Like, she, I think that grants, you know, a, a valid fear of threat if you're already stabbed. Like, I, this is the states, they do have a self-defense clause. Like, I don't understand how you can get there. And I've always, like, I've, I've often heard people talk about, it, like, a ratio in terms of how many days of trial versus how many days of um, of jury conversations there should be. And, like, I don't think 90 minutes really suffices on any, any crime. Like... Yeah, 90 minutes is basically... They went over the evidence once and then made a decision. Like, it doesn't sound like then there was actual conversation or actual deliberation it was just kind of like they already knew what their answer was gonna be when they entered that room and that should never be the way that decisions are made definitely not yeah see i told you mine would be a downer yeah, just a little uh Tamaya Hunter was uh, only received clemency after the Ohio Parole Board uncovered information that had not been revealed at trial that suggested that she suffered from battered woman syndrome, which is a subcategory of PTSD. And so uh, what battered woman syndrome is, uh, women who have been abused over a period of time will often internalize the abuse and blame themselves for the actions of their abusers. So uh, they typically uh, won't leave the situation. They'll feel like um, they're the ones who caused it. Um, I'm not really sure how they would have missed that the first time around, considering she was still interacting with him after leaving him for being abusive well like they they talk about how you know she didn't show signs of it at the time like what Mm -hmm. what are the early signs of of battered women that were suddenly present you know however many years later like that just doesn't that doesn't seem to I don't know, make any sense? Yeah. And, yeah, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, how can someone seem abused 15 years later, but not immediately after they were attacked and 
then kill the person attacking them. But it just seems like a, like a lot of the circumstances was minimized during the trial, I guess. Did she ever bring uh, any claims of um, ineffective assistance of counsel? I don't think so. As I said, there was just like, it was hard to find anything that wasn't about the clemency. The clemency. Yeah. Uh, I think other than the advocates who were, you know, fighting on her behalf, um, there was just like very little coverage of the case. Uh, okay. So, Tamaya is scheduled to be released on July 15th once she has successfully completed a reintegration program. Uh, this case came just days after Centoya Brown was also granted clemency after serving 15 years of her life sentence. Both these cases brought the appalling statistics about the wide gender gap in sentencing, um, though these, st these statistics have been around since 1989. The word statistics is very hard to say. <laughs> um, the average prison sentence for cis men who kill their female partners, and I'm assuming that's cis female as well, uh, is two to six years, while the average sentence for women who kill their male partners is 15 years. So this is very heteronormative and cis-normative uh, of the statistics, but they're like 30 years old. Mm. On top of this, the majority of incarcerated women reported uh, intimate partner violence and most women who have killed their partners uh, have said that the, the motive was in self-defense. Whereas the most common motive for men killing their partners was uh, infidelity or suspected infidelity. Which is like two very different motives. Oh, yeah. And like... And specifically feeds into that, that uh, adage of, what is it, the biggest fear that men have is that oh, yeah. women will embarrass them, and the biggest fear that women have is that men will kill them. Like, that's, that's a little on the nose. Yeah. And then the sentences don't really reflect that. Like, like they reflect the, the attitudes of society. And that when a man kills a woman because she cheated on him or he thinks she cheated on him, then he only gets two to six years for manslaughter. Whereas, like, women are like, hey, this man is currently attacking me. I need to protect myself. Oops, I killed them. Now I have to go to jail for at least 15 15 years which and then there's another discrepancy because um and like 
shout out to my old professors who were experts. Uh, there's a really awesome professor, Dana Olwen, um, who basically, uh, for, for a while at least, was specializing in the concept of honor killings in Islam and how it's a bullshit argument because we have the same thing in Christianity. It's just called what you're talking about right there. We just, mm-hmm. so it's like, cool, white dude thinks his girl is cheating two years, but a Muslim did it? Oh shit, bring down the full force of everything because it was an honor killing and barbaric and blah blah blah. Like, it's 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 the same thing, but in a different wrapping. And yet, when brown bodies commit crimes, it's a longer sentence, and it's it's silly because it's the same reasoning, like... It's it's a concept of, like, slighting and property that I'm sure many Muslims would say is not actually part of, of the religion. And so, like, it's just, it's dressing up a thing that white people do, too. Yeah. For sure. Like, I've definitely heard of that before. And, like, it's how we kind of, like, distance ourselves from our own cultural norms that allow this to happen. And so, like, it's easy to be like, honor killings are a Muslim thing, and they're over here. And when it happens over here, it's an isolated incident. But it's clearly not. Like, I mean... I think it was, when I was looking this up, was like 40% of um, men who murdered their partners was out of jealousy. What are the other reasons out of curiosity? I think it was like financial gain. Um, oh, yes, the insurance card. Yeah. I don't have the other statistics in front of me but it was like uh jealousy financial gain and then uh something else uh yeah i it'll take me a while to try and find like 40 percent that's 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 not a one-off thing that's a pattern yes like it just, like, it, it just blows my mind, like, how does anybody sit there and go, hmm, that seems like a reasonable reason to murder someone, versus they were battering this person over the course of years. Where they were mentally and physically tortured. Like, that success. But everything else is, like, jealousy is totally fine. Yeah. I also think it's important to acknowledge that both Sintoya and uh, Tamaya were black women And that plays a huge factor in how they were seen as victims or villains. Because I 
do not doubt for a second that that jury saw a black woman on the stand and immediately kind of assumed her guilt in that moment because I can't imagine any other scenario where like they didn't have preconceived notions and only deliberated for 90 minutes. Yeah, and I wonder what, like, what that sort of stems from. Like, is that not seeing black women as, like, worthy humans? Does that come from, like, not seeing um, black women as able to be battered? Like, are we expecting that black women can hold their own? Like, I wonder what exactly that preconceived notion is. Like, what is the myth that that they think is somehow true about her and therefore she's guilty? Mm-hmm. And, like, my... What I imagine what happened was um, a lot of black men have spoken about how they aren't seen as feminine or frail or delicate in the way that white women are. And so their actions are always seen as more aggressive, as more violent, um, and as more animalistic. Mm. And so, like, um, when the Centoya Brown case uh, was being spoken about, so much a lot of people were talking about what if Centoya Brown had been a 16 year old white like white girl we'd all cheer that she was still alive and herald her as a hero and I could name like several of these stories yeah and like she would probably be framed as a victim of sex trafficking and you know like how she was a victim of the whole situation rather than, you know, oh, she shouldn't have killed that guy. Yeah. Who was paying to have sex with a 16-year-old girl. Like, it's, yeah. Um, hopefully these very tiny victories will help change that gender gap in these sentences and protect women in the future from having to live these lives. Um, Yeah, that's my case. Who boy. Yeah, sorry, I did it again. What's that? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you went sad. Yeah, I do this almost every single time. I can't seem to just, like, talk about, just like, oh, that's creepy. I have to be like, and this is what's wrong with society. Everything sucks. (laughs) Hey, man, uh, things in society kind of suck. I think it's a fair criticism. (laughs) Like... I mean, I, I, I'd love to see the stats in terms of 
um, clemency by by race and by gender because uh, I haven't I haven't seen any, but like it feels like we're hearing more stories of women of color being granted clemency, or maybe that's just a myth, or maybe we're hearing like the really messed up ones where, like you said, shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. Um, but yeah, no, hopefully we do move towards the trend. And like, it's nice to see, I think, you know, with the rise of true crime podcasting, a lot of more eyes are on these cases and yeah. able to affect change even in little ways that, that we will see a better trend of clemency being granted and like juries taking longer than 90 minutes and adequate psyche valves being done and all these little things that will hopefully add up to a less craptacular law system. Hopefully. Hopefully. But I have no faith <laughs> in the criminal justice system. I was just trying to be optimistic, even though I'm like, you're kind of full of shit. <laughs> it's it's a nice pipe dream. The silver light. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, want to hear about some guns? Yes. Woo, guns. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, hold on, let me grab the thing. Doo, doo, doo. Okay, so uh, I have a fair amount of family down in California near San Jose. Uh, and to keep us entertained when we were little, we would often go to the Winchester Mystery House. And so I have this big spot in my heart for any time I see it. Um, did you ever watch Halt and Catch Fire? It was like no, I didn't. It's supposed to be the replacement for Mad Men. Anyways, it's it's a pretty cool drama. It talks about like the evolution of computers and programming and stuff. Has a lot of badass ladies in it. Um, and then later in one of the episodes, the like baby queer is like trying to hit on this girl at a restaurant that she really likes when she's realizing that she don't like boys. And she's like, <laughs> so there's this weird house. That we could go visit if you want, maybe, kind of. And she gets shot down. It's really sad. But I was like, yes, Winchester Mystery House. I'd be so down for a date there. Um, and then just either last year or two years ago, um, uh, Helen Mirren, Dame Helen, did uh, <laughs> a, uh, like a suspense ghost movie called Winchester. Um, which is super oh. hokey and trashy. Like, it's so, so tacky, but I love, uh, like, I, I only watched, like, the first half an hour because it was, like, the middle of the night, and I was like, okay, no, like, you do, you do want to sleep at some point. Um, so it's, I, I spook easy, so I'm a watch these things in a daytime kind of person. Um, that's fair. But the movie even drew my mother, who hates watching movies in the theater, she went just so she could see, uh, like, you know, shots of the house again. Um, So, like I... It is on Netflix. It is, yes. That's where I was watching it. Um, But my mom doesn't have Netflix uh, because she's in the boonies. And they have microwave (laughs) internet, which I didn't realize was a thing. But it means that you you have no bandwidth. So Netflix is just not a thing. Um, So she watches a lot of Dr. Pole. 
the like veterinary man. My partner watched a lot of Dr. Paul when it was on CHCH. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was like a good while where every day at four it was a Dr. Paul episode. And so I would like come to hang out with my partner and he'd just be watching like cow births. Yep. It's it's interesting. I always forget that my partner is from Alberta until we're both at my mom's and she's got Dr. Pole on and like there'll be someone going out there with calving gloves and Chris is like, Oh yeah, I've done that. Like, what? <laughs> you you you've had your hands in a cow? <laughs> Like, yes, Alberta. Ooh. Apparently, this is commonplace, you know. Wake <laughs> up in the morning, eat your toast, go help birth a calf, and uh, go to school. <laughs> Alberta's not a real place in my mind. Like, I cannot, I cannot, like, fathom how Alberta comes. I just, I, I only know if, like, it's exports that have come here and are, are here now. Like, what, what was it like back there? It's like, like the old country. <laughs> uh, but anyways. Um, so, yeah. So, Dr. Pohl. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah. My mom doesn't have Netflix. That's the, uh, that's the, the moral of the story. Um, so, I will tell you the story that up until like a week ago was what I believed. So, here we go. Sarah Lockwood Winchester, née Pardee, was the heiress to the Winchester Repeating Arms Fortune, one of the first repeating rifles uh, and a gun that played a key role in a lot of America's development, sometimes known as the gun that won the West. Yeehaw! She was haunted by the ghosts of all those who had been killed by the guns that made her rich. Her fortune was blood money, and it plagued her. A man who spoke with the other side told her that these spirits had taken her father-in-law, husband, and baby daughter away from her and warned their, her that she would be next if she did not move to the other coast and build a labyrinthine house. Guilt-ridden, she kept building and building to try and confuse the ghosts, ward them off and appease them. There are staircases that lead to the ceiling but do not go anywhere, doors that lead to great plummets, rooms within rooms, doors that open to walls. She built things in sevens and thirteens in the hopes that spirits would become trapped in these features. She grew paranoid of the living, too. She built a skylight above the kitchen so she could oversee her cooks to ensure they weren't poisoning her. Uh, each night at the stroke of twelve, a Japanese man or his understudy, armed with multiple chronometers as not to mistake the time, would ring a bell that only he and his understudy knew how to ring. This summoned the spirits, and she would commune with them in her seance room to get their desired input on the next day's designs. At two, a bell would ring again, and she would return to bed until morning when she could let the crew know what they were building next. Carpenters worked round the clock every day for 38 years until the time of her death. In the end, the home had 160 rooms, over 10,000 individual panes of glass, 2,000 doors, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, and six kitchens. Forty of the rooms were bedrooms, and each night she changed rooms so they couldn't find her. And of course, this is all very logical, because we know the one thing that wards off ghosts is walls. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, this is the story, and like... 
I, you know, I thought, like, when you go to see this house, it is very odd. Um, there are stairways that go nowhere. Well, actually, there's one. Um, there are weird windows. There's a lot of spiderweb-themed windows, which are pretty, pretty cool if you're, if you're into, like, like, it's very baby goth, I feel. <laughs> um, like, it's an odd house. The stairs are built kind of weird because she was only four foot nine, and so she wasn't always building with, like, other people in mind. Um, As someone at four foot eleven, I would really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's 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 nice for anyone that's within a foot of your your range, and then otherwise they're <laughs> not not excited about you anymore. <laughs> um, but like, you know, looking at the house, it's a really easy myth to believe. Um, so I asked my mom and my sisters what they remembered of the house. Uh, again, my sister remembered the door to nowhere, the stairs to nowhere, um, and a door above a kitchen that if you open, you drop to onto like a kitchen island. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I asked my mom, and she's like, yeah, I remember the pantry cupboards that were about two inches deep. And I said, what the heck can you put in two-inch cupboards? And she says, nothing, that's the point. She was crackers. So <laughs> there's this understanding that she's super nuts. She's super afraid of ghosts. She's very superstitious. Um, but the thing is, there's literally no proof that any of this is true. Um, her, I guess her lawyer or estate planner or similar dude, uh, amassed <laughs> all of the letters. She was a big letter writer back and forth to family members. So there's tons of correspondence, notes she'd written, bills and invoices, and there's no real mention of spiritualism. Um, also there's the, there's no proof that she ever saw the medium who told her to go across the country. Like he wasn't. Like, they have no proof that she ever met him. There was no sort of crossover. Um, huh. Which is like... So, I wonder where that story came from. Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of sad. Um, it came from, a, like, a newspaper writer in San Jose who was like, wow, this house is ugly or, like, super weird. Like, I'm going to make up this story. Um... And it sort of seemed of to pervade. And then when the um, the mansion was taken over after her death in the 20s, uh, it became a museum. And so instantly they were like, okay, what's the selling point? And so these stories grew legs and, um, you know, took off. And, and the, the myth became more factual than the truth. Um, it's a super good ghost story. Like, it's... It's pretty good. I mean, thinking of, you know, um, uh, how ubiquitous the Winchester repeating rifle became, it killed a lot mm. of people. Like, it was uh, both the uh, Confederate and Union soldiers were armed with Winchesters. Um, one of the cool things I found out uh, is that apparently... Um, the Battle of Little Bigfoot, George Custer's Last Stand. Um, mm -hmm. He was using a, like a single shot rifle, um, but the native folks that were 
attacking him were all armed with Winchesters, and, like, that may be the reason they won, because it's, like, the single carbine... I'm not a gun person, but basically, (laughs) I think you can get one shot or two shots off in a minute, whereas the Winchester is 15, was the starting point, so it's, like, a huge advantage. Definitely. So it's, like, it's super funny to think, wow, did, like... Winchester slowed down colonialism, but then on the other hand, it super helped it because it was the the gun that was used to basically colonize the West with like like the sort of Western um, like the Western movie sort of thing of you know clearing out the natives and blah 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 and, and it was so it this gun was everywhere it was on both sides of everything. Um, so it did kill a lot of people. Uh, and so the idea that all those spirits would be roving this property followed her from Connecticut all the way to California is, is kind of compelling, uh, as far as ghost stories go. Cause it, and it also like, it made them wicked rich, like, millions of dollars i think one of the best years was like 1.5 million and that's like 1900s dollars so wow quite the mint um so that's the 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 big problem about reading anything about sarah winchester is that you need to like read it and check it and then double check and then find the source because Uh. a lot of it is lore very cool lore but lore nonetheless but i gotta say like having researched this all um there's a lot of really neat stuff about her just because it's a ghost story doesn't mean she wasn't a very cool ass lady um although i i stumbled upon a website called the truth about sarah winchester which made me laugh because i'm pretty sure that's how scientology like, names all their hate websites for people that speak out against them. Like, the truth <laughs> against so-and-so are detractors. So, anyways, the truth about Sarah Winchester. So I was reading it, and it's like, here's the ghost story. This ghost story is fake. Here's what really happened. And the posited theory was that she was either a Freemason or a Rosicrucian, which is like a Freemason but different. Um, or that because she'd come from near Yale, she was a member of Skull and Bones, and that she was also a big proponent of, and I didn't realize this was a thing, the idea that Francis Bacon was Shakespeare. (laughs) That, like, Hmm. like, because, I mean, the, the, the thing about Shakespeare being not a real person is not uncommon, but the idea that Francis Bacon somehow was Shakespeare is just like, really? It's, 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 but it's, it's a big, big theory with, with lots of, lots of, uh, evidence. Well, not evidence, but like, you know, look, here are the facts. Um, so anyways, I was just like, okay, not a ghost story, but she's a Freemason and building all these things with Fibonacci spirals and sevens are really, uh, like a Freemason number and then that, like, all of the panels are secretly a code, like a Pythagorean code or 
something like that. Like, it was just, like, okay, not a ghost story, but it's this convoluted, highly doubtful thing. Okay. I think it's kind of cool, because a lot of, like, Freemason conspiracies and, like, those secret society conspiracies usually focus around the men, and there's, like, there's this implication that, like, women weren't allowed in those secret society. Yeah. So it'd be kind of awesome it if would be, Sarah and, and the thing is, I love Freemason conspiracies. I, myself, like, really wanted to be a, um... I wanted to be a Freemason in the, like, Masonic Lodge that takes women. It's like, yeah, this is going to be the thing. So when I was little, I, I saw a program about Freemasons. And they said the Freemasons knew who Jack the Ripper was. They know who killed God's Baker, this other big true crime thing. Uh, and so I was like, yes, like... I'm going to be a Freemason, and then I, too, will know who Jack the Ripper was. <laughs> um, and I was really determined about this. And, like, um, my grandma's maiden name is Mason, and so, like, we actually Ooh. do have Masons in the family. There's no way I'm ever going to be a Mason. <laughs> so I'm resigned to that fact. But, like, I super love, like, hidden shit in dollar bills, and, like, I read the uh the oh the damn brown books i was super oh, into yeah. like they're terrible but i was like yeah that is a secret sign that something 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 so like i'm i'm down for freemason stuff i just i don't know like it's i i don't know like i mean some of it makes sense and then some of it doesn't and then there's like Things where, so like, basically this guy's theory is that the entire mansion was a test for a worthy initiate. Um, like, a new Freemason who was smart enough to figure out the path. And so he lays out the path of how it's directed and everything. But then there's some things that just don't really make sense within that context. Um, so like, the big thing that's easily explained is... The stairs to nowhere. So what it is, is mm -hmm. um, stairs that instead of going up to an upper level, there's just like a ceiling. So the space between your head and the roof decreases as, as you walk up it. The building used to be six stories tall, but it was in California, and California had a big earthquake uh, in 1906. Uh, and so it knocked out four of the stories. And a lot of people in California became obsessed with rebuilding. But she was like, eh, I guess it was a sign, like, two stories will suffice. Um, so they just, like, they just sealed off the roof. So when you put it like that, like, it makes super sense. It's not, you know, oh, the ghost is going to go up the stairs and get trapped in the ceiling. Um which is funny, like, it's, it's a pretty sweet, like, that's the problem is, like, I super love the, like, the, the mystic spiritual stuff, um, it's, 
it's a cool story. And, like, I don't think I like... I don't think I feel like I've been duped, womp womp, like this story sucks now. Because <laughs> uh, I think you could still enjoy the ghost story and also, like, appreciate the rest of it. Which, there's more! Okay, so... Um, <laughs> uh, it turns out that, like, basically Sarah Winchester was just a very different kind of woman for the time. Um, her, like, her birth family were noted abolitionists out east... Uh, They were anti-child labor, which I hear was quite popular uh, earlier on. Um, And they were early sort of like ASPCA people. Uh, So they were fairly progressive. Um, Did a lot of charity work uh, during the Civil War. I I don't know if she was sewing it herself, uh, but she was sending care packages to Union soldiers and things like this. And so... Um, you know, like a lot of her life was service to others. Um, and so that's one of the cool things that is posited for the real reasons why she, um, why she was building. And that's because she wanted to keep people employed. Um, so she was paying all of the workers three times the going wage. Um, there was no real need for it. They weren't actually working around the clock. Like, they were working a lot, but they weren't... Like, it wasn't 24-7, 365, as they would tell you. Um, And, like, there would be periods of time when no work would be going on. Like, if it was not the right weather for plastering to dry, she'd give people time off. So, but she was, like, she wanted these people to have a living wage before that was a thing that people really believed in. Um... That's so cool. It's kind of cool. Like I kind of like this story. Right? <laughs> like it's it's so exciting because like she had all this money. Um and it's and it's really interesting because like if capitalists were like her, I feel like the world would be a better place, which is not something right? I thought I'd ever say. Um but like <laughs> it's it's interesting because she did sit on the board once uh her father-in-law and her father or her father-in-law and her husband passed away she did sit on the board of winchester arms and so she did keep an eye on the bottom line but to her paying workers well was not seen as an imposition on the bottom line and that is a sweet sweet perspective to have um and like it seems like the the family always like overhired people to create jobs um, one of the other things was before, um, this isn't her, but this is sort of, you know, Winchester family ethos, um, Oliver, the father-in-law, actually started as a shirt manufacturer, because uh, he found that men's shirts had a weird shoulder line that wasn't really working out, and so he tried to make a better shirt, and he did, and then it was originally just him cutting pieces in a factory next to their house, and then he would oh. give those pieces to women to work out of their homes. And I was just like, yes, this is the best. Like, let women do work at their own speed, like, in their own place, not in a dingy sweatshoppy type deal. Um, and then when the business expanded, he, he didn't change that for a long time. He just hired a bunch of fabric cutters to cut all the pieces and, again, bring them to 
these women working out of their homes. Um, so, you know, bringing women income, I imagine, while they were also parenting. Um, although I imagine a lot of people had nannies, but it's, it's hard to sort of grasp the whole uh, economic landscape from the pieces mm-hmm. that I've gotten. But uh, it seems like, you know, and Oliver Winchester, uh, Sarah Winchester grew up wealthy, but Oliver Winchester, her father-in-law, did not. He started with no money and then, uh, you know, built his, his little empire and used the money from the shirt sales to start building um, the munitions because they actually got the patent from Smith and Wesson when they failed um, oh. or the factory when they failed and got it's it's a whole thing it, there's a lot about guns but like <laughs> it is the story and it isn't the story there's there's just there's a lot but yeah so moving forward she also kept people employed um, and then there's also the concept that um, the house was her way of expressing herself. And so when they had lived back in New Haven, the father-in-law, Oliver, had wanted to build this big manor that uh, he and his wife, Jane, and his son, William Winchester, and his wife, Sarah, would all live in. Uh, But he was busy. And so she and William oversaw a lot of the design and a lot of the... um, the day-to-day contracting of, of all the things uh, that made this house. And then he died fairly suddenly from tuberculosis, and Oliver had also died. Um, and she had really found a passion within architecture. So when she moved to California, she was just like, I'm going to build the thing, because I can Um, She originally had two architects, but she dismissed them because she preferred to design things herself. I swear this building is either like an architecture student's wet dream or nightmare because there's an example of almost every kind of like building style on it. Like it's a Victorian, it's mostly Italianate, um, but there's like widow's walks and four different kinds of turrets and three different kinds of balconies and like it, you can basically like it's a textbook it's 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 such an interesting house because it's built of so many pieces and she was just like i don't care if there's like a unifying thing i'm just gonna keep building um and so the the one of the reasonings along this with why she was always building was one she liked it Um, And two, because it was a a passion for her and not a profession, she wasn't always educated in why decisions would or would not be smart. And so it was a trial by error thing. So there's a letter where she's talking about a hallway and everyone seemed to be tripping because it was dark. And so she needed to scrap that idea and build a skylight so that people wouldn't trip. So it's like she... Yeah, it it was a big trial and error process for her. So um, that was the reason why her building took so long. And she also didn't actually build up until she died. It seems like the last 10 years of her life, she wasn't actually at that mansion. Um, 
And then sort of the, the last reason about why she was doing it was uh, that she was just in mourning. She had, her and William had had a child who unfortunately suffered from something called marasmus, which is where your body can't uh, get nutrients from any food. You can't digest things. So this uh, little baby Annie only lived for 40 days. Uh, And, you know, her siblings and extended family were all having children. And William and Sarah were pretty devastated, it seems. Um, There was a family wedding that they decided to have out of state so that Sarah and William could could decline the offer and stay at home and grieve. Um, And then she loses Oliver and she loses William. And, you know, she's just got a lot of death. Uh, yeah. And so at the same time that she's losing these people, she's also inheriting a massive amount of money. Um, so the reason that she was building was sort of busy work to keep her focused on something so she wasn't sitting and grieving the entire time. Uh, and the, the, the fact that she evidently would continually wear mourning clothes, like often sort of black, long Victorian gowns and veils, um, sort of permanently. She never really took off the morning clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other cool thing is that uh, she was a spoonie. She had rheumatoid arthritis. um, And a lot of her writings, you know, talk about things that are really familiar. Uh, So there's one where she says... Uh, If I did not get so easily tired out, I should hurry up things more than I do, she wrote. But I think it is better to go slow than to use myself up. Just having the furnace man here and going over all the details with him used me up completely for a day or so. Like, same girl. Like, (laughs) I know those feels. Um, So the other reason that she moved to California was because a doctor said, it'll be better for your joints and your breathing. Uh, So I'd imagine... I, like, I, I'm down. Can I get a prescription to go to California? <laughs> uh, that'd be great. Uh, so, you know, there's all these really interesting facets to her that I think are undersold by a ghost story. So it's, Definitely. It's a, it's, a, it's a great story. It's sort of bound by, you know, a lot of threads, uh, the rise of spiritualism around the turn of the century, uh, the growth of gun sales while there were anti-gun sentiments. Um, the fact that the building is odd looking at her being a woman and a widow, like any, if you take apart any of these things, it, it doesn't make for like, like I don't think it would have been a story if any of these one things was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays it's still open. Um, the people will, the the guides seem to preface everything with legend has it, so I guess that's how they, <laughs> they avoid, you know, the, this is a lie, but, um, but I just looked at their Instagram, and they're having an Easter thing called the Hoppening, which, <laughs> which is just the best, um, and, and I have to wonder, like, 
if you could go back in time and tell Sarah Winchester that when she died, they'd tell ghost stories about her, but it would employ lots of people for lots of years. Like they have, you know, salespeople, they have um, events planning, like you can, you can probably get married there. Um, it, like if she had known that so many people would be employed, I have to wonder if she wouldn't have been like, yes, sure, do it. Uh, because it seems like she was a lot more to it than just spooky ghost lady afraid of <laughs> afraid of the gun deads. That's like really cool because I like the story of first like the ghost story because it's all about like oh killing people with guns is bad and you'll be haunted for ever for the rest of your life it's blood money <laughs> exactly but i kind of like this story better where it's like sarah winchester is actually this just like entrepreneurial woman who valued the people she worked with and like It's just really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, like, obviously that story doesn't sell tickets to the Winchester History House, but I think, you know, both stories are really, really captivating. Yeah. Um, I have a bunch of sources I'd like to list. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, so I want to think there's another podcast called feminist folklore have you ever listened to it i have not it's really awesome i just discovered it recently and have binged a lot of the episodes uh where they sort of break down different tales about women um true untrue uh, like mythical things fairy tales uh and break them down and talk about what the stories are saying about women uh, which is really awesome. And they subscribe to the school of Sarah Winchester didn't give a fuck, which I'm really, <laughs> like, I'm super, super into. I'm like, yes, she was just like, no, nah, this is how we're doing things. Um, so thanks to them for pointing me towards uh, a couple of other books. Um, there's The Gunning of America, um, which is quite good, and it talks about the development of the gun and... Um, how the, the the myth sort of was built. Um, Captive of the Labyrinth is also a really excellent book that also covers about the same thing. It's nice to see that the books, well, a fair amount of books do say, like, here's the story, here's kind of some other things to consider. Um, there was also Winchester, the gun that built an American dynasty, and Ghostland, which is sort of an anthology of different ghost stories that is, like, Ghosts may be real. We're not going to talk about that. Here's some ghost stories about America and how they came to be, um, which is a really good book, too. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I am super excited to know all of this because it is just like a really undertold story. Definitely. Uh, and it was a good note to end on. See, I told you, guns are happy. <laughs> <laughs> Says the not gun person at all. 
Um, so before we kind of wrap up, uh, is there any social media or anything you would like to plug if anybody wants to find you or your work? If you want to find me, I am at Fair and Fireball. It's F-A-R-Y-N. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, I sometimes write stuff. I retweet a lot about uh, disability justice, and uh, I post a lot about disability on my Insta as well. And there's a lot of dog pictures because I have a Frenchie and I love him. Uh, <laughs> and his name is Sergeant Pepper, and he's the best. So he shows Aww. up often. So if you like dogs and like disability, definitely find me on those platforms. Amazing. Um, if you would like to find Six Sad World, we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, at Six Sad World SSW for Facebook and Twitter, and at Six Sad World Pod on Instagram. We also have a Patreon that you can subscribe to uh, for as little as $1 a month. And you can find us at patreon.com slash sixadworldssw. Um, our next episode, we, w- we want to do a kind of listener episode. So if you want to uh, send us a story, you can send us uh, an audio clip or an email to sixadworldpod at gmail.com and we'd love to include it. Um, did I plug all the things? I think that's all your things. So. <laughs> well, don't be a murderer. <laughs> and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.